Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad you're listening to our sermon series titled Beginnings Matter, where Pastor Ryan will be unpacking the truth of the beginning so our future can be established with purpose. Thanks for listening. Amen and amen. No place I'd rather be than right in God's Word. So let's dig right into that. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to be. We're going to be continuing our series. Beginnings matter. So welcome again to Church 213. Fantastic crowd in the house this morning. Feels good to be here. Amen. That was a week. Feels good to be here. Amen. That's right. So we kicked off that 2022 series, Beginnings Matter. And what I'm doing is I'm walking us through the seven days of creation so that we can be reminded of the majesty and power and the rule and the reign of God in our lives. Beginnings matter because it cuts through the fog of the deception that so many have who admittedly demand independence. Kind of helps us cut through that fog. There was these two pastors in the local church, and they were standing on the side of the road holding up this sign that said, The end is near. Turn yourself around before it's too late. And so they planned to hold that sign up to everybody that went by. And uh, so the first car that goes by, the guy yells out the window, Leave us alone, you religious freaks. And then they hear this crash and this splash around the corner of the road. And one preacher said to the other, said, well, do you think we should just put on the sign, bridge out? <laughs> there are people that are adamant they're going to do their own thing. And so this series helps us kind of cut through the fog. It helps us remember that God created us in his image. Making it so that he could reveal himself to us. Y'all catch this. And so he can express himself through us. Amen, church? That's it. The purpose and the root of our rest is this. To love God more deeply. To know God more clearly. And to follow God more nearly. That is where we find our purpose. And that also takes us to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 3. So if you have your copy of the scriptures... Uh, let's stand together and read that. If you have your, your tablet, open that up. Swipe, open that app. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And that's the prayer of my heart this morning, that we would love God more clearly, know God more deeply, and follow God more nearly. That's it. Flowing right out of Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 3. The Word of God said, let's, let's read this. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verse 4. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. Verse 5. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning. One day. You guys can be seated on this day. Chapter 1. Verse 3. Verse 4. And verse 5. See, what we've seen in the first two verses of Genesis 1 is this. 
it's how God began to reveal himself. It's, it's how he, he, uh, he began to create the realities that kind of ruled our life. You ever had to talk somebody back to reality? You know, is this real life? You know, what is the reality? What God began to do, like, like a canvas to which to paint, God created space and he created matter. Verse 1 and 2. We work through the seven words in Hebrew. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It was this. It was Bereshit, Bara, Elohim, Yit, Hashmaim, Yait, Aharez. Some of you guys have been working on that day and night, I can tell. That was week one. Nod your head if you kind of remember that at all. Okay, don't leave me out here high and dry. Okay. I encourage you to try to memorize. Try to memorize Genesis 1-1 in Hebrew. It's on week one sermon guide. It's at the top. And what we see there is this. Elohim, creator God, is in charge. Powerful, serious, and mysterious. This is no ordinary individual that we're dealing with here. And so we left off last, well, two weeks ago, before the snow decided to get crazy and not exist. We left off with this, verse 2, that God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Hovering mean, means, uh, it's better translated, divine vibration. And it was over the surface of the water, ready to bring chaos out of order. God was sorting things out. Experiments have proven that changing frequencies produce different vibrations that can rearrange objects in certain patterns. Let's think about this now. At the right frequency and the right intensity, the chairs that you're in could be moved to a new organized pattern. At the right intensity, at the right frequency. Scriptures tell us that divine vibration of God was moving over the face of the waters. What that tells me is that science and the Bible are not at war, church. Atheists would have you believe they're moral enemies, but they're not. They're not mortal enemies. They're a power couple. They're a power couple that, that help explain our realities. And so when we read the text, let's, let's put that on the screen again, fellas. Let's read Genesis 1, 3 through 5 again uh, together. Let's, let's go right here. Ready? Go. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning one day. So how does God begin his work? With light. The big idea of the message is on top of your sermon guide is this. God designs his greatest work. God designs his greatest work to be done in the light. If you don't get anything today but this, I encourage you to get it. God does his greatest work in the light. On one day. On the very first day, God began working on this formless void of watery darkness by creating periods of light. Now, a lot of scientific stuff 
has been done to explain light. But you know what? Light is still mysterious now than it's ever been before. Than it's ever been. Light, light, is, light is incomprehensibly complex. Really, if you think about this, think to yourself, say, self, what do I know about light other than it helps me not break my pinky toe in the middle of the night? I mean, really, really, what, what, what do you know about the physical existence of light? Nothing. God designs his greatest work to be done where? In the light. And so you're not necessarily going to see God working in the circumstances because of physical light. Because that's not what Moses is talking about here. That, that's not what he's trying to communicate. If you, if you look at the language, the language here is telling us that function is more important than physical existence. And here's what I mean by that. Knowing what a bridge does is so much more important than knowing how it exists. When you're on top of that bridge, you just want to know it's going to hold you to get you from one side to the other so you don't plunge to your death. You don't care what it's made of or how it actually works. You just trust that it does. You know what I'm saying? So function is more important than physical existence. So when Moses wrote these words in Genesis 1, catch this, he was communicating what light does, not necessarily what light is. Because then, just like today... Light is eternal, it's timeless, it's authoritative, it's supremely mysterious thing. For centuries, some very smart people have been trying to figure out what light is. So I'm going to fast, fast track you through three or four hundred years of scientific research. Y'all hang with me, okay? Don't check out on me, okay? In 17th century, a really smart guy named Isaac Newton claimed that light was made of, of, of these little, little tiny round particles. And he proposed that depending on the shape of the particles, whether it was you know, round or oval or kind of like a football, that determined its color. Light particles, he said, are, are, are different shapes, which is why we see the colors of the rainbow. They have different shapes. Well, another guy at the time said, uh-uh, that, that ain't right. Light was not made of particles, but he said light's made of tiny ripples. Like when you throw a rock in a lake and it, and it splashes in the ripples. So some ripples are tighter in wavelength than others. And he said, depending on the length of the wave, that determined its color. Well, then in the 19th century, a guy named Thomas Young did an experiment where he took a piece of cardboard and he cut two slits in it and he shined light through it. And on the other side, there were uh, shades of light and dark that was projected that looked like a zebra. And he's like, aha, Newton was right. Light is made of ripples. A hundred years later, a 20th century physicist named Philippe Leonard shined light on a metal plate. And what he noticed was these electrons bouncing off like cue balls. And he's like, ah. I mean, uh, the other guy said that Newton was wrong. But this guy said, ah, Newton was right. 300 years ago, light is made of round particles. We don't have a clue what light is. Then 100 years later, 
this wild-haired newcomer physicist named Albert Einstein turned the science world on its head again. And Albert said that Newton and Young were right. That light is both a particle and a ripple. It's both a particle and a wave. And, and Newton called this new thing, because nobody knew what it was, he called it a light quanta. So the study of light, that's why it's called quantum physics. Y'all putting up what I'm picking down? So, I know you're like, I ain't got a clue what you're saying. Hang with me. All right? I'm going somewhere, people, I promise. Light is a mysterious thing. Light is a paradox. It's like something that's both black and white. It's like, it's like a number that is both even and odd. A drink that is both cold and hot. And you're like, Pastor Ryan, that doesn't make any sense. That don't make no sense. Exactly. That's the point I'm trying to make. Light defines common sense. It defines logic. You can't even begin to imagine what a light quanta is. That's why light is called, y'all catch this, a sovereign supreme. Which means it acts and, it, and its functions are beyond the realm of our reality. For example, a sovereign supreme, nothing is faster than light. If you tried to go... If you tried to go the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, that's some giddy-up right there. Let's say that you, you can't, but let's just say that you could. What you will find is the faster that you go, the heavier you become. Physics has proven that. That's why I don't run marathons. <laughs> the faster you go, the heavier you become. Not only that, but the slower you get. So let's just say to pick up speed, you put on some, some, some you know, high-powered boosters and you continue to accelerate. What you would find is as you, even though you were getting heavier, as you continue to accelerate, time would slow down. Time actually begins to slow down. And let's just say that you continue to push through, even though time is slowing down, right to the edge of the speed of light, what you would find is time would stop. There's some smart people out there. Even consider this stuff. Here's where I'm going with this. Light doesn't have those limitations. Which means that light quanta are timeless, eternal, supreme, and mysterious. They're both fully particles and fully ripples at the same time, and they transcend our time and space. Pastor Ryan, what in the world does that mean? This is what it means. Look at Psalm 44.3. Psalm 44.3 says this. For they did not take the land by their sword. Let's see. Is that Psalm 44.3? Let's go to Genesis 15.7. 
Oh, no, 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 go back. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's exactly where I want to be. For they did not take the land by their sword. Their arm did not bring them victory. But your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, because you were favorable toward them. This is something that they cannot explain and they cannot control. Genesis, Genesis 15, 17 says this. When the sun had set and it was dark. This is talking about God setting a covenant with the people. When the sun had set, the source, and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared, and it passed between the divided animals. So there's something eternal and supreme doing the work here beyond what they're used to as the sort of source of light. And then it all culminates, y'all, this is where we're going, right here. 1 John 5, 1-5 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. God is light. Paradox. Unexplainable. Fully God and what? Fully man. God is light. He is eternal. He is unexplainable. Yet the sovereign supreme to which Change happens, exclamation point, might drop. That's where we are. God designs his greatest work to be done in the light. God is light, not like light. God is light. In any area that there is a denial or a rejection of God, y'all catch this church, will default by bringing darkness. And yet there are people looking beyond the Lord for change. They know they need, but they can't seem to find it. Because they're looking in the darkness. If you're looking for a change in relationship, bring it to the light. A change of self-esteem, a change of identity, a change of purpose, a change in your marriage, a change of happiness, a change, a change of joy, a change in trajectory. Stop looking in places that aren't of light, that aren't of God. Just as those people look around, and just as we look around, what we see, y'all catch this, fewer and fewer people are using the things of God, light, for the actual change that they're looking for. It's like stumbling around, breaking that pinky toe, and refusing to get the light. I hate it when that happens. That happened just this week. To Debbie. Am I speaking truth? And I heard about it. Because I left my stuff out in the dark. And that's on me. And I own it. I didn't own it in, but I admit I own it. That was my bag. I didn't put it up. You should have turned on the light. Everyone, John 3.20 says this. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So people stay in darkness. And this love of darkness, where does it come from? It proceeds from a hatred of the revealing power of the light. It's like looking for that lost button in that dark closet using everything except accessing the light by flipping the switch on the wall. How silly is it to be looking for something in the dark using everything except what provides a light? 
But think about this. When you need light, you don't need the materials that make the light. I'm saying, you know, when, when you're stumbling around in the dark, you don't say, oh man, I wish I had the wick of a candle. I wish I had the glass bulb out of my phone. I wish I had a couple of D-cell batteries and a flimsy piece of plastic that never holds up when I really need it. I wish I had those component parts. No, what do you say? I need the what? The light. You, you need the function of the light so that the dark space where hurt and where fear and where frustration and chaos exist can change into a space of light so you can see things as they are. And that's the switch that fewer and fewer people are actually using. The function of the light. The things of God. God designs His greatest work to be done where? In the light. In Him. God is light. That's the connection. And so Genesis chapter 1, 3, and 5. It's describing God's presence so that work can be done in bringing something good out of something dark, empty, and void. Let's, let's read that again. Genesis, Genesis 1, 3, 4, and 5. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning one day. Now these are things we say all the time. And when I, you know, when, when I started to really dig into this study, I thought, uh-oh, I've gotten myself in a pickle. Because this is difficult. This is very philosophical. I mean, there are, there are volumes and volumes of scientific research. And I'm like, I am not equipped. So Lord, help me to communicate what you want for what our people need for right now. So if you're like, man, this is a science lesson, that's what I got for you. And I think it has purpose. I think it's going to help us defend our faith against people that are adamantly walking in the fog of deception, ignoring what the scriptures say. And so to help us understand what I'm trying to, trying to communicate, it's important to look at the language, to look at the words. The Hebrew word for light is or, O-H-R. Now, what will surprise you is this. The word, it doesn't mean to illuminate or make things visible. That's, that's really the way you think about light, right? Light, that's why I can see stuff. That's not what this word means. The word means to bring order to something chaotic. And that period of time, that or was there, was called day. The Hebrew word for day is yom. And so God called that period of bringing order to chaos day. Y'all see what I'm saying? And from the way Yom is used here compared to the other ways in similar context in the Bible of what day can mean, I believe that this is a literal 24-hour day period. So catch this. Yom was not the light itself. That God called day. It was the period of time. That light was there. That he called day. Let there be light. 
Let there be a period of time to which I am making something out of this mess. And that goes right along with what Moses is trying to communicate. He's not trying to explain what light is. He don't know what light is. We still don't know what light is. Because God is light and He is unexplainable. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is the supreme eternal being. And the Israelite view was of the sun, was the sun, it was a source of heat. And it was a source of light. But not, not as the source of light. That's God. God is light. Moses isn't explaining what the source of light is here. It's a mystery. We've already said no one knows. What Moses is doing is he is telling us that when God said let there be light or let there be or, it means let there be a period of light that God was actively present. So light could be better described as daylight. Let there be daylight. Let there be an active movement of God bringing chaos back into order. A period of time, catch this, where God is working and forming and shaping, actively dividing the darkness. What the Andrades have experienced is light. A period of God actively working, bringing chaos back into order. Their parents, both saved, rescued, redeemed. Set, set on a new foundation right here in this place under the light of truth. So day one is the first function that God used to bring order to the chaos of the cosmos. And that's huge. Because what it's explaining to us is that God was ordering the sequence of things. What that's telling us is this. God created time. Isn't time an abstract word? Did I ever tell you about the time? I tell you what time, the game's coming on, Pastor, we got to go. You know, time, day, they're abstract. So what we're seeing in the first three, four, five verses of the beginnings matter of Genesis 1 is God creating time, space, and matter. It's our realities. He's giving us our reality. And here's what that means for us. God changes things when we let the light in. He can sort things out when we bring it to the light. And when I say that God designs His greatest work to be done in the light, here's what I mean, and this is on your notes. Y'all write this down. God works in your life when your life works in Him. If you're stumbling around in some area, flip the light on. God works in the light. Our life will work when, when it works in Him. God will work when our life works in Him. He is the function to which darkness has to flee. In the light. It's a mysteriously powerful thing and it brings change. And what is beautiful about light is the same thing that's beautiful about God. That God exists. Works for His good purposes in our lives. Mysteriously. Supremely. And knowing those two things, that's okay with me. Because what's greater than knowing what it is, is knowing what it does. I don't have to explain 
what God is, who God is, and how he works to know that he does. I've come too far to turn back now. I've seen the mysterious hand of God rearranging pieces that I didn't even know existed in order to set me on a firm foundation, secure my salvation, and allow me to live my life for him when I could barely even open my eyes and think clearly. That's what faith will do. God is light. It's mysterious. It's unexplainable. It's paradoxical. I don't understand it. Both human and flesh. I, don't, I, can't, I can't get it. But I believe it. Because it has yet to be proven not to be true. God is light. And when you think about, when you think about what light does. When you're stumbling around in life. When you are tired of hitting that pinky toe. And you flip on the light. You know what you have? She has hope. When you're looking in the closet for the lost button. And you flip the switch. Darkness turns to light and you have hope. When you're lost in the night and you find the light. That anxiety begins to leave. Guess what? You have hope. If you've ever been disoriented in the night and you see a light, you know there's hope. Right? If you've ever been low on E, thinking that you can just get a few more miles and you see the light of a station and it says open, can I go five more miles? No! You find light and there's hope. God is light. And God does His best work. God designs His greatest work to be done in the light because that's where we find hope. H-O-P-E. That's what we see in Genesis 1. We see the hope of God. The, the, the magnificent of glory bringing periods of of, of, of of time where he is making hope alive. A famous Scottish preacher said the most pro- profane word we use, we ever use is hopeless. Because when you say a situation or you say a person is hopeless, you are slamming the door in the face of God. Let me tell you, nothing is hopeless. Nobody is hopeless. No situation is hopeless. Anybody can testify by a raise of hand that says, I can prove that hopeless doesn't exist. Hopelessness will drive you to a place because it's like slamming the door in the face of God. There was this little boy. He was in the mall and he was standing at the end of the escalator. And he was just fixed on the rail. I mean, he was just moving. He was just watching it. And the people around, they started to feel sorry for him because they really thought that he was scared to take that first step. That can be scary for a kid, right? To take that first step on the escalator. And so the salesman came over and came up to him and and he said, little boy, do you want me to help you get on the escalator? He's like, no, sir. He said, aren't you scared? He said, no, I'm not scared. He said, so why are you here looking at this rail? He said, I'm waiting for my gum to come back around. (laughs) There was hope. 
It was the hope that held him steady. That's what I'm trying to say, church. And when you have hope, you can stand fast that help is on the way. Hope is coming back around. It's been said a person can live a few weeks without food, a few days without water, a few minutes without air, but not a second without hope. I'm here to tell you that, come by this morning and tell you this, that we serve a God of hope. We serve a God that can create moments of bringing chaos back into order when we bring it to Him. Because He is light. Life is about 10% how you make it, 90% how you take it. And so what we see in Genesis chapter 1, it shows us how light creates hope. So we're going to work through that H-O-P-E, and then we're going to wrap it up. The hope that we see, the H, is healing. We see healing. We know what's going on in in Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in in verse 2, we see that process beginning now. We see that now. Remember, we, we talked about that it was a disconjunctive clause. That word now means that it's describing the state of things. God can sort things out. And what we see is after after the, uh, the survey of what it is, we see healing. God is working to set better than what was there before. Hallelujah is right. God was there to set better than what was there before. God was going to ease or alleviate or soothe the wasteland of the current reality. And verse 2 tells us that the earth was barren, it was desolate, and it was hopeless. But when God light, but God, aren't you thankful for the but God's in your life? But God began to work in the period of time and all that mess was about to take shape. God is putting chaos into useful order. See, Moses wasn't trying to explain what or how light light works. Moses was, was trying to explain that it does. How are you going to work things out in my life? We ask that question a lot. Moses, remember, Moses is the writer here. Remember, Moses later on saw a burning bush and God called him out of light to go do something. And he's like, who am I going to say that sent me? And God simply said, you tell them that I am sent you. I am. What does that mean? It's mysterious. The word I am, the, the phrase better translates to this. I will be, I love it. I will be So, however I will be. Put that in Cheerios and eat it. I will be howsoever I will be. How will God work out in your life? When you bring it to the life, when you bring it to the light, how will He work it out? He'll work it out however He wants to work it out. I am is light. I will be howsoever I will be. See, our concern is not how it's going to happen or how it will happen, but that it has to happen because light always, without fail, changes the darkness. You see what I'm saying? 
It is the nature of the mysterious form of light. When you bring light into something, darkness has to flee. So when you bring light, when you bring God into a dark situation, by default, God is light. First John, God will begin to work things out. God does bring healing for your darkest messes when you bring them to Him. So my challenge to you is expose Him. Expose as many things in your life to Him so He can work. Bring it to the light. This is on your notes. If you want God to bring order from darkness, get into the light and stay there. If you're cracking your toe in the night, consistently, every night, by nightlight, leave the light on. We do it at home all the time. We consistently stay in the light because we get tired of the consequences of the darkness. Listen, I've said it, I've said it, and I'll say it again. I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of what's in the dark. You just get that feeling like something's watching me out here. The other night, 1238 a.m., I hear my two dogs making this noise in the backyard. Now, these are not vicious hunting dogs. These are yuppie dogs. Okay? They're subdivision dogs. And so when they make, when they make noise in the night, something's out there. So I look out, and they're nose to nose to something in the, in the pen, and they're going round and around like this. I'm like, oh boy, they've got something out there. And so I get up, and, and I, I get in the carport, and I grab the first thing I can. It's Sadie's softball bat, poor thing. I'm like, I don't know what's out there, but I'm coming out swinging. And so I get out there, and I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating, you know, a ladybug, because they're yuppie dogs. It is a raccoon. They have somehow pinned this raccoon. And again, I'm like, oh my goodness, that raccoon is wild and they are not. They are going to be destroyed. And I was kind of proud of them. They held their own. They killed that raccoon. And so I had to properly and humanely finish him off and put him in the woods. Okay, this was all in the middle of the night. But my point is this. And there is a point to that. What did I do at the very beginning when I heard it? I flipped the light on. And guess what? I left the light on throughout the night. Because I realized that light can change this situation. Jesus talks about this in, in 1 John. I mean, in John chapter 8, verse 12. It says this. John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know why it can never walk in darkness? Because darkness must flee when there is presence of light. So there is healing is what I'm saying. There's healing. Not only is there healing we see, but we see that there's order. We see there's order. The Bible says that the period to which God was working was daylight. And at the end, there was evening and morning. But that seems backwards, doesn't it? Because we usually typically think about morning and evening. This says evening and morning. Because I mean, doesn't day begin with morning and end the evening? Yes, for us it does. But here's what I want you to catch. For us it's listed like that. 
But this is explaining how God set up a sequence of alternating periods of, of light and darkness. There's a, it's where this transition is. So the first transition after creation of, of daylight, of time, was evening. Because it, it, it had always been dark. And then boom, there was light. And so the first transition of the order of things that God is setting up is when it went into evening and then back into morning. You see what I'm saying there? That's what this tells me. That God is a God of order. If you want peace, if you want order and stability in your life, you have to arrange your schedule, arrange your talents, arrange your time, your money, your passions around the things of God and let Him begin to order things out. It's on His timetable. Because the light of God will create new order in your life. So in order for life to fall into place, as God would have it, you've got to put all the pieces in His hands. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? If you want order in your life, you've got to bring those pieces and put it in the light and arrange your life according to Him. I'm talking about complete sellout, y'all. I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about Stetson Bennett sellout, baby. Sell out. Sell out to the voice of conscience in your ear. Burn the ships that are tied to anything dark. Go all in. No holds barred. No lukewarm living. No fence straddling. The reason there's chaos in our world is because people are straddling the fence. They're not all in. And the word promises that the darkness will flee. Amen. The darkness will flee and things will begin to change because that's what light does. That's what the promise of God does. And God is light. The very likely reason that there are areas of life that, that seem constantly out of order catch this church is because there's some part of it kept in the dark. These are God's words. God is light. Disorder goes into remission when godly order is injected into the veins of your life. Disorder goes into remission when godly order is injected into the veins of your life. That's what happens because that's the promise of light. New Testament and the Old Testament support this. It's right out of the word. Proverbs chapter, I mean, uh, James 4, 6 through 10 says this. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. Why? Because the proud live in darkness. But gives grace to the humble. Why? Because humble people live in the light. Therefore, submit to God. Order your steps. Resist the devil. Resist is intentional action. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God to light. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. 
Proverbs 15.10 says this, talking about order. Discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path. You lose control of order. The one who hates correction will die. You can ride in the ditch for a while, but it's going to cost you eventually. Proverbs 16.3 says this, talking about order. Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. Bring it to the light. Order yourself to the things of God. One more, Proverbs 16.9. A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his step. All these things are talking about order. So there's hope. Hey, not just healing, not just order, but the last two are this. It's precision and excellence. Precision and excellence. The text said this. That God looked upon His creative activity, the creation of the cycle of time, and He said, that's good. That's good stuff. It is good. Which means it was exactly the way He wanted it. If you ever made something and stepped away, it's like, that's good right there. I did that. It is exactly what I had planned. And what he's saying is these two 12-hour transitions of day and night provided the perfect canvas for the creative hope of God to be done. There was nothing missing and there was no darkness in him. Hey, make no mistake, church. When you properly, catch this, when you properly and you consistently apply the light of God in dark places of your life, you can rest assured the outcome will be exactly as He wanted. It might not be what you wanted, but you place them in God's hand and let Him begin to sort things out. And you can know with confidence it is precisely, exactly the way He wanted it. And God is looking at what is going on in your life when you put it in His hands. He's like, now that's good. That's me right there. Do you know anybody just as good at patting themselves on the back? You know, don't throw your elbow out while you try to pat yourself on the back. Got any backpackers in here? Any? Anybody? Yeah, I see some people pointing. God is patting himself on the back for his glory saying, that is good. That is good. We can rest assured that is exactly what God wanted. Because perfect precision is for the excellence of his name. And so these little children right here, Hattie Mae and, and, uh, and Jonas Andrew, there's parents have placed them in the hands of light. And the Lord is saying, that's good. That precision and that excellence is for my name. Y'all, creation is a foundation you can build on. God can sort things out. And God designs the greatest work. To be done where? In the light. Let me illustrate this for you as we close out. Hey guys, in the back, turn off all the lights. The house lights, and then black out the stage lights. Michael, you scared dog? Don't run out of here. (laughs) That light right there, see? Perfect. These house lights too. You know, flipping the switches on on the wall right there. It won't be complete in the dark, but you get the point. One in the back. There we go. Talking about precision and excellence. In the presence of light, darkness must flee. 
If you have a flashlight on your phone, will y'all turn that on for me? Turn your flashlight on and just hold it up. Hold it up. I was told by a professional painter recently that the best way to make sure that there's precision in the coverage of of what they paint is to shine multiple really bright lights on the wall because where there is light there is no shifting shadow and darkness must flee. And so the reason Yeah, that's right. Somebody's got me, somebody's got me pinned. Here's my point. The reason that Matthew encourages us to so let our light shine is because when we live and we position ourselves under the things of God, darkness will flee. Hold them up. This is your chance. I know your arms are like, I'm going to get tired. Look at this. When the church of Jesus Christ, who said himself, I am the light of the world, God is light, and in me no darkness exists. And when you submit to me, the devil must flee. When we as as a church, individually in our own hearts and homes, position ourselves under the things of God and let the light work, then we let the light out in darkness. Look, darkness has to flee. Darkness is not the the opposite of light. It It is the absence of light. And when we put our phones down and we, we close the light off, darkness by default rules and reigns. Y'all do that. Just put those lights down. No one turned on darkness. Darkness just exists when there's a lack of light. And by the light of Christ, we can, we can experience Him working, bringing chaos back into order. So my encouragement to you is this. My challenge is this. If there's an area, any area, that is not completely under the control in the light of God, bring it to the light and let Him begin to work. You know it's there because there's chaos. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in the home. Maybe it's in the marriage. Maybe it's in school. Maybe it's in private life, social life, social media life. If there's chaos, take a good, hard, long look and say, Lord, Is there something in the dark? And if there is, bring it to the light. Because it's only in the light that we can glorify the Father and make His name known to the four corners of the earth. So we can let our little light shine. Should we put it under a basket? No. we got to let it shine. Not going to let the devil it out. When we leave it in the light, we're going to let it shine. So let's stand together this morning. Y'all know this in your heart of hearts. God designs His greatest work to be done in the light. Because it's in the light that there is hope. So leave those lights off. Let's do this together. If you would, just bow your heads. Praise team's coming. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. It's time to be honest. People of integrity. 
The beauty of, of the darkness is a reminder, this is exactly where the enemy wants to keep you. He wants to keep you bound into the darkness because there's no freedom there. And so I simply want to ask you, is there something in your life that you're keeping in the dark that you need to bring to the light? And if that's the case, I'm going to give you that opportunity when the praise team begins to sing by simply just coming forward. Do you want to pray right here alone? Asking the Lord to help you move it out of the darks of the light. Encourage you to do that. There, was, there, there is power. There is power in bringing it out of the darkness. This is a safe place, church. Because we all walked in darkness, but now so many of us have the desire to walk in marvelous light. If you want to talk to me, I'm going to be standing right here. If you've never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus and your eternity is bound for darkness because of a willing, consistent rejection of Jesus and you want to bring that to the light once and for all, follow the Lord in baptism as a physical demonstration of what you believe Jesus can do and has done and will do in your life. If you want to submit your life to Christ, step out, bring it to the light. So you never have to live in darkness again. What is that next step? What are you going to do with Jesus? What is that next step into the light for you? And Whatever the conviction is on your heart through the conscience and the working of the Holy Spirit, don't suppress it. React to it. Watch Him work. And watch hope become alive. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. And we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that through that word we can love you more completely. We can love ourselves more correctly. And we can love other people more compassionately for the glory of your name. God, thank you, Lord. That you took on flesh, 100% God, 100% man. The paradox of the universe. You took upon flesh and then crawled across to pay my penalty. To set what was wrong right. God, you were light. Sovereign, supreme to which change comes. And so God, I ask you, Lord, in your providence and in your power, and in your will, that you would move people from darkness to light according to what you have placed on their heart. God, give someone the courage of their conviction to step out of darkness into marvelous light and walk out of here, letting that light shine in a new and a fresh way. We pray this in the name above all names, the name to which will rescue and redeem the earth to right the wrong, to bring chaos to order. The name of Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashua. And all God's people said,